0: Robbie, my coat's right there. Don't you get too close. Nope, nope. Get your hands off of it. Turn your Bible to Genesis 39. Genesis chapter 39. We'll be looking at various passages in the book of Genesis. We'll begin in just a moment with a little passage there in Genesis chapter 39. Every person will travel life upon one of two roads. Each of us, rich or poor, young or old, will choose to walk life's journey, plotting upon one of these two paths. In today's story, we come to the character of Joseph. He's later in his life by these chapters as he himself faces the same choice that you and I face today. Which of the two roads will Joseph choose? The road to revenge or the road to reconciliation? Joseph's story, his family's story, could have made a reality television show. I can see all the brothers gathered around, sitting on stools, around the talk show host. Cameras are rolling. The crowd is eager for the brother's confessions. I hated him, the first brother said. Dad loved him the most, the second brother said. He had a fancy robe and he wouldn't get his hands dirty. That kid drove me crazy with his dreams, one of the other brothers shouts. He really thought he was our king, chimed in yet another. And then they explain just exactly how they pulled it off. We thought about killing him. We wanted to throw dream boy into a pit, another one said. Yeah, kill him, kill him and throw him into a pit, another one chimes in. Let's tell dad the wild animals ate him. But Reuben said, no, no, we couldn't kill him. So we stripped him, threw him in the pit, and sold him. Yes, said another brother, Reuben. We sold him to the Ishmaelites, Ishmaelites headed to Egypt. 20 pieces of silver for him. That's a pretty good price for a braggadocious little boy. Joseph had a dream. A braggadocious boy with big ideas. In his dream, there were sheaves, or there was a sun and the moon and the eleven stars. Everybody was always bowing down to Joseph. His father, his mother, his brothers. And this really, really angered his brothers. So his brothers plotted his demise because daddy loved him the most. They sell him into slavery to a caravan of Ishmaelites headed to Egypt. They cover his multicolored tunic in the rich red blood of a goat and show it to his dad, Jacob. Look, your beloved boy has been butchered by a beast. But in Egypt, but in Egypt, all went well For Joseph. Look at chapter 39, verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. While doing time in prison for being falsely accused of misconduct by Potter's wife, God gives Joseph the gift of reading dreams. And Joseph, in his wisdom, now a man and no longer a boy, becomes the equivalent of the vice regent of Egypt, the vice president of Egypt. He was the only one able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams no one else could tell him that the fat cows represented seven years of a fantastic crop. And the gaunt cows meant that seven years of famine were sure to follow. Joseph had this plan to set aside grain during the years of plenty. That way they would have enough food for all of God's people during the years of famine. Joseph now. In charge of all the grain of Egypt. Indeed, like Joseph interprets a dream, famine strikes the land as Pharaoh had dreamed and Joseph had interpreted. All the grain that exists in that part of the world is stored in Egypt. And Joseph has prepared the Egyptians for that season of seven years of famine. His whole family back home, his daddy is still grieving because so many years ago, he learned that his boy was dead. His brothers long ago have forgotten about their braggadocious brother and his colorful coat. They're starving. God's people are starving because they are not ready for the famine. Jacob now, an old man, sends his boys to Egypt to get some grain. Now turn over to Genesis 42, verse 6. Genesis 42, 6. Now Joseph was a ruler over the land. He was the one who sold all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground, just like his dream. Remember the bundles of wheat that bowed down? The bundles of the brothers bowed down to the bundle of Joseph. Now it's lived out in reality. Joseph's brothers bow down to him, their faces to the ground. Look at Genesis 42, 8. But Joseph recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. The joy of being reunited was just too much for Joseph. He sends all the Egyptians out of the room. Turn over now to chapter 45, our passage this morning, in verse 1. He says, get everybody out of here. Everybody go out from me he wept so loudly at the reconciliation that it was heard throughout the land of Egypt. He declares in verse 3, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? Another way of saying, how's my daddy doing? His first question is regard to his father, Jacob. Silence. Absolute stunned Silence, dismayed, and afraid, his brothers, the ones who had sold him into slavery, were now facing the one who held their very future in his hands. But then the words of reconciliation, verse 5, don't be grieved. Don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. In other words, God sent me to Egypt. He let me interpret the dream so I could provide food to our family during the famine. God is rescuing his people through your evil deed. He'll tell them in a bit what you intended for evil. God turned into good. And then Israel says in the last verse, of this chapter. It is enough. My son is still alive. They tell him, I will go and see Joseph before I die. And earlier, his brother Benjamin, the only brother with whom he shares the same mother, they wept and they cried together, united once again. Reconciliation. Reunion is a powerful force. There's a driving desire within each of us to be together again with those whom we love or those whom we're supposed to love. But before a reunion can happen, there's a barrier or barriers that must be brought down for reconciliation. There is forgiving and forgetting that must take place. Like Joseph, each of us lives his life on the road of revenge. Or the road of reconciliation. Joseph willing to forget and forgive the wrong that his brothers had done to him, separating him from his father for all those years, selling men to slavery. Joseph was willing to let it go. All of it. I want you to notice what he says to his brothers in verse 4. Please, come close to me, he says, Come close. Come close to me is the language of reconciliation. The call of reconciliation. Come closer. Let's break down the barriers that are between us. Maybe it's not a family member, maybe it's a friend. I want you to know this morning that God does not call us to forgive without also giving us the power to forgive. We cannot forgive out of our own strength, for it is humanly impossible to let things go. And yet, there's a great power in forgiveness. Forgiveness liberates us from a painful past and places us into a brand new future. Forgiveness sets us free from those dark, evil forces that can storm our minds and seize our souls and hold us hostage until the ransom of revenge is absolutely paid. And paid again and again until at last we are morally and spiritually bankrupt. To refuse to forgive is to choose hate. And hatred becomes a cancer to your soul. A carcinoma to your spirit. Joseph could have chosen the other road. He could have chosen the road to revenge. He had the power right then and there to imprison his brothers, to refuse them food during the famine because what they had done to him... When he's a little lad, throwing him into the pit and blooding his colorful coat. You might say this morning, Pastor, I can't forgive. I've really been wronged. So had Joseph. So have you. But we must be willing to Forgive. Someone has defined forgiveness as the removal of personal barriers within a relationship over wrongdoing, whether real or imagined. Forgiveness is a removal of personal barriers in a relationship over wrongdoing, whether real or imagined. The words for, in the Bible for forgiveness are to lift up and to debare and to dismiss, to send away. With forgiveness, our sins are sent away. And then we call individuals like Joseph did to his brothers. Come closer. Forgiveness rids relationships of revenge and breaks down bitter barriers. Joseph stood at the crossroads that day. He could have chosen revenge upon his brothers. To force them to suffer from the famine. To imprison them. He had at his power, the disposal, at his power, his disposal to do anything he wanted to do to his brothers who had truly wronged him and ripped him away from his family. But he'd been living obedient to God. He had faith that God would take the mess that his brothers had made and turn them into something powerful and transforming. Turn over to Genesis chapter 50 and verse 19. We hear these words. The brothers know that they're really in trouble with Joseph, whom they've wronged. Do not be afraid. For am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. Not only is his faith at stake, but his family was at stake. With the famine, his family really could die. His faith is at stake, and his family now is at stake. But God had placed him in Egypt and allowed him to have the power of interpreting the dreams, to gather the grain in order to feed God's people when the famine came. And he said, I'll take care of you and your little ones, because he had the power to do it. His future was at stake. The family and the faith, but also his future was at stake. I want us to notice a few things about the road to revenge. First of all, revenge will rot your soul. When we find ourselves in a crisis of forgiveness, we can very easily become a slave to our own rage of revenge. We can hurt and hate until hell freezes over, but in doing so, our desire for revenge, we bear the burden of rage. It destroys us in the process. You see, living on the road to revenge, living a lifetime with that burden, The living on the road to reconciliation is to choose life and freedom. Speaking of revenge, Germany's first chancellor, Bismarck, boasted, I'm accustomed to paying men back in their own coin. You get me, I'll get you, he was saying. Or you've seen the bumper sticker riding down the road, I don't get mad, I get even. Or I don't get mad, I get revenge. I've seen it both ways problem is, even never comes. Revenge never, ever, is fulfilled. It's a bitter poison that stuns us and drugs us and sours our souls. Of course, I've tasted it before, and you have too. Revenge will rot you to the core. Revenge demands a ransom and we can live our life warning the privilege of payback only to find we have in the end imprisoned ourselves. There's a second thing I want you to notice. You can let revenge go even when the culprit of your pain does not repent. Now this is very important. This may be a new theological thought for you. You can let revenge go even when the culprit of your pain does not repent. Repent is a complex thought, but it's true. If you can't get rid of the revenge until he repents, you have made yourself a slave to him. You see that? You've given him power over the rest of your life. If your joy, your happiness depends upon him and what he might do, Some of you are asking the question this morning in your own minds, Pastor, do I have to forgive him if he doesn't repent? Randall Bryan says, that's the wrong question. The question is, do I I have to forgive him? The question isn't, do I have to forgive him if he doesn't repent? The question is, can he repent if I don't forgive him? The question isn't do I have to forgive him if he doesn't repent? The question is can he repent if I don't forgive him. Isn't that what the cross is? Do you remember Jesus there on the cross, he's being crucified and Jesus calls out, "Father, forgive them." Now when Jesus says, "Father, forgive them," who had repented? Had Pilate repented? No. He was over there washing his hands. He didn't want to be guilty, but he had not repented. Had the Romans repented when Jesus said, Father, forgive them? No, they were too late to figure it all out. They had not repented, not the Romans. How about the high priest? Had the high priest repented for what he had done to the Messiah when Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Can you show me where the high priest repented? He didn't repent. The silent mob. Oh, they'd been shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. they had grown silent. They'd stopped shouting. They were silent, but they weren't sorrowful. They did not say, we're sorry. Even Jesus' old disciples who had left him and fled. They had not repented. But Jesus said, Before anyone asked for forgiveness, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing no one not one repented and yet Jesus forgave we're here in this church today because Jesus decided to forgive before we repented when you forgive your enemy your spirit changes he may yet repent and become all that God intends him to be If you're waiting for him to say, I'm sorry, before you release your revenge, you're making yourself a prisoner of his, and you're not following the model of Christ. You remember what Paul says? God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Or John puts it this way. We love because he loved us first. It's a hard, hard lesson, but sometimes reconciliation is the task of the one wronged. Johnny Lee Carey was the grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. He sat impatiently at a radio station awaiting the arrival of his debate appointment, the Reverend Wade Watts from McAllister, Oklahoma. The Reverend Wade Watts was the head of the Oklahoma NAACP. He served as pastor in the McAllister Church, a church which Johnny e. Lee Clary had tried unsuccessfully to torch down. When Reverend Watts arrived, he walked over to the hate filled Klansman. He, he sat defiantly in his white sheet, and the black minister extended his hand and said, I love you. Now, Johnny e. Lee Clary just automatically reached out his hand because that's what we're taught to do in culture. And before he realized it, he had shaken hands with the one that was supposed to be his arch enemy. It was 1979, and within 10 years, Clary was still Hatefield. He'd risen to the imperial wizard of the Klan. And yet he had never been able to shake those words of Reverend Watts, who told him, I love you. He knew the Reverend had no reason to love him. Then 10 years later, haunted by the love of that pastor, Ten years later, he called a council of the Klan. He dropped the bombshell: I quit, he announced. He surrendered his life to Christian ministry, testifying he could no longer run from the haunting witness in love of Reverend Watts. The man who had loved him when he was unlovable. And the man who had not sought revenge on him, but had loved him like God. Clary called Reverend Watts to share with him the good news, and Watts invited Clary. Get this, Johnny Lee Clary preached. The KKK Imperial Wizard preached in the black church, and so the the two men were traveling around the South preaching the gospel of racial reconciliation, and they even uh, protested together KKK rallies, and Clary founded a ministry called Operation Color Brind to combat racism. Following the death of the good reverend, the pastor's wife said, Johnny became like family to us. He always told us how much he loved us. You forgive before they repent for the grace of your gospel Will transform their soul you might be saying this morning well jesus could do that but i i could never do that a, a, a person could never do that what happened to stephen in acts chapter 7 while he's being stoned stephen being stoned by his opponents, his religious opponents, Stephen says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And who's there holding the jo- coats? We try to make him a minor player in Acts 7. I think that's all wrong. I think he said, sick the, the It is Saul who's holding the coats, and it is his men who are murdering and stoning Stephen. He is guilty. Stephen's blood is on his hands. And Stephen says, Father, do not hold this against them. And that includes Saul. Augustine once said, had Stephen not uttered those words, we would not have had Paul in all the books of the New Testament that he wrote. If God were not willing to forgive sin, heaven would be empty. I know how Joseph's story ends. He embraces them. He feeds his family. He tells them, I know you did evil. He doesn't whitewash it, but God took your evil and made it good. He wasn't willing to risk his faith, his family, or his future to hold a grudge. Two roads. Joseph had the road of revenge or the road of reconciliation, two roads. He had to pick one or the other. I know how Joseph, I know how that story ends. But how does your story end? Will you become a prisoner to all the wrongdoing in your life? Will you become a servant to anger? Will you let your life be ruined by what she did or he did? Or will you choose to forgive? And will you say, Come closer? Let's pray. Oh God, what a powerful word from the life of Joseph. There may be someone here today who's held a grudge for a lifetime. Not just years, but decades. Brothers who don't speak, parents and children. Father, whether they will join us or not, our opponent, it is our duty to say, I forgive. I forgive. I will not be imprisoned to the sins of the past of others. I forgive. And God, even as we profess our need to forgive, would you give us the power of your spirit to do it? Because we don't have the power to do it. But when your spirit comes alongside, we can do it. If you're here, you're watching by live stream, maybe you're here this morning and you need to be this day that you can write down in your Bible, this is the day you forgave. This is the day you chose The road of reconciliation and left the road of revenge. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.